Now, my Facebook newsfeed lately has been overrun with people posting about this question, how do we make the world a better place? And it has to do with the presidential election. That's basically the question is, how do we make the world a better place for ourselves? And people's passions about this are just running high right now. Um, it's unbelievable, the memes that are out there. And it has me thinking, you know, Jesus also cares about that question, how to make the world a better place. And his whole life and ministry is also addressing that question to some extent. How, do we, how does the world become a better place? And Jesus has a lot of ideas about that, and a lot of the powerful people in his time did not agree with his ideas about the, answering that question, and so they killed him. But God pulled the trump card, rose him from the dead, and thank goodness for that trump card. And, uh, and the story goes on, and ever since, we have recognized that this is the movement that we need to be a part of, that the movement where resurrection is a possibility is the one to be a part of, the, the movement that can take everything we do in this temporal life and extend it and give it a place in the next life, that's the movement to be a part of. And so you guys have been going through the parables of Jesus the last four weeks, and I love that because whenever I am invested in reading and meditating on the parables in particular, I get a better sense of this thing called God's kingdom, which God is building and which he's inviting us all to be a part of. And so far... You've looked at, I'm just going to go through some of the parables that you've, you, you've examined. You've looked at the parable of the talents, first of all. That was the first one you looked at. I love the parable of the talents because in that parable, Jesus describes how God gives each of us immense resources. All of us, even the ones who receive the least, really are receiving an immense amount of resources to use in the way he would use them, uh, which is in, in a risky manner, as Dave taught us. It's, it's, it's in a way that is generous, that is not thinking about, it's, it's not, not a safe way, it's in a risky way, it's in a bold way. That's the way God invites us to use his resources. And then you looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is about several kinds of people. Uh, first off, it's about the way that, that sometimes we avoid people's problems. We walk by on the other side of the road, and we don't get close enough to really see and feel and be engaged in the needs around us. But there is one in that parable, the Samaritan, who it says draws near. He draws near enough to see and feel and notice and be moved by compassion, and he then provides generously, far beyond what you would normally expect, far beyond what the call of duty, he provides generously, and God invites us to do the same, to draw near and feel compassion and be pulled into the needs of other people in the Good Samaritan. 
And then he looked at the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, actually, it wasn't just the prodigal son, right? There were three parables all together about things being lost and things being found. And one of the things I love about those is that in those first two parables about uh, one sheep out of 99 getting lost, one coin out of 10 getting lost, Jesus starts it off like this. Which one of you, if he lost one out of 99, wouldn't go seeking it, leave the 99 behind to find the one? And um, in case you missed the joke, he's, he's saying something like this. Hey, which one of you, when you're walking down 2nd Avenue and get to ask for some change by a stranger, wouldn't give him $100? That's really what Jesus is saying. And he says, but God doesn't think twice about it, and neither does the father of the prodigal son. Of course, he says to the older son who's upset about his generosity, of course I had to give everything I had to the younger son. He was lost and now he's found. And then last week, you looked at the parable of the rich fool. And I actually also love the preamble to that parable because it goes like this. There's a guy in a crowd of thousands of people that are around Jesus, and he wiggles his way to the front. And so he's got no small feet, by the way. He wiggles his way to the front, gets right next to Jesus, and he has a chance to ask one question of the guy. And, uh, you know, he know this is, I mean, Jesus at this point has healed people of sicknesses. I, I'm pretty sure he's raised somebody from the dead at this point. He's calmed, you know, a raging storm. He, he's done a lot of stuff already, but this guy comes up and with his one question, his one shot, he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me half of the inheritance. And Jesus tells this parable of the rich fool, you know, with his face and his palm, uh, where... The, this man gets an immense harvest and he decides to build bigger barns, but God says, you fool, you don't know how long your life's going to last. It's going to be taken from, from you this night. We don't know how long we have. The resources that we get are the Lord's. That's what we learn in that parable. And not only are our resources the Lord's, but um, turns out Jesus knows that Money in particular has a way of capturing our hearts and enslaving us, and we have to fight that. Uh, We have to put our trust in the Lord. And so then tonight, we're coming to our fifth parable. It's the parable of the shrewd manager, which you heard. And when I opened up my Bible to start preparing for this, uh, you can't see it, but I had underlined... Parable of the Shrewd Manager, years ago, and put a big question mark next to it. <laughs> and I remember when that happened. I was in college, and this guy who was kind of on a journey of faith, who had started reading the Gospels, um, had come to me and asked me, he was like, you know, I like this pair, I like the prodigal son, I like the good man. what is this? <laughs> and I had no answer for him. You know, I, I think I... I stumbled through some lame answer, and then I was just like, God's really good. (laughs) And so here we are, you know, with one of the weirder of Jesus' parables, but I've, as I've studied it this week and reflected on it, it's been very challenging to me personally, and I think the invitation in it is very exciting as well. So 
since it's already been read, I'll just summarize it for you. It goes something like this. So there's this manager. He's the manager of an estate. Uh, the estate has an owner. The owner probably has lots of estates, so he's not around all the time. And he comes, the owner comes, he's circling through, going to all of his estates, and he comes to this one, and uh, he hears that the manager hasn't been managing very well. And you can replace manager with steward. Um, those two in interpretations of that word are kind of interchangeable. Um, but the thing about this manager is that his job is to uh, use the resources that don't belong to him in the way that uh, the owner would use them. And so he's the manager of this estate, and he's been lazy, and he hasn't been doing with the master's stuff what the master would do with the master's stuff, and the master finds out. This is the oh crap moment. You know, in every good story, there is an oh crap moment. It's the inciting incident. Remember high school English? Right at the beginning of that bell curve, the inciting incident. It's the oh crap moment. The master's back, and you haven't been doing your job. And so the master says to him, you can't be my manager any longer. And here's the thing. There's an interlude between this conversation and when he actually loses his job. And that's, this is a very interesting thing. This is part of what's interesting about the story, is that uh, the master says, you're going to lose your job. You need to give me an accounting. And then there's this little break where he gets to go. We, we don't know how long it could be, a day, a week. He gets to go get the books together before he brings them back to the master and officially loses his job. But what that means is that there's this little window of time after he's been put on notice that the position he holds is going to be changing, that his managership is temporary, uh, this little window of time where he still has the authority to use the master's stuff in whatever way he chooses. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Because he's wondering to himself, what am I going to do? I can't dig, I can't beg. He sh definitely can't be a manager somewhere else. And when you put all of this together, what you realize is that he has absolutely zero way of supporting himself. If he can't dig, that means he can't work. If he can't beg, he's, he can't beg. And if he can't be a manager, then you've just taken all the options off of the table for his survival. And so this manager recognizes correctly that he is going to soon be in a position of total need for which he'll need total help. And so he has a grand scheme. He thinks to himself, well, what can I do? Well, it says he called in each of the master's debtors. We get two examples, but he, it says he called in each of them. He's probably, you can just imagine this whole long line of debtors of the master coming, and with every single one of them, he's doing something similar having some mercy, showing some mercy. And the master can't do anything about this. This is a great plan because he still has the authority he has the, of uh, the master because he hasn't quite lost his, his stewardship yet. 
And so the master is really forgiving these people. He's, the master's forgiveness is flowing right through him to these debtors. And his thought is that maybe in the order that is to come, when this order ends, the order of my stewardship is over, then maybe in the next order there will be mercy for me because that's my only hope there is mercy. And so the master comes, he commends him, and this is where we all get tied up in knots because we're thinking he's commending, it's, it's like he's commending, um, you know, the, the, the corporate tycoon who's stolen money from people. You know, he's not doing that. Um, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's almost like he's, he's commending uh, the, the worker for the corporate tycoon who stuck it to the man, uh, which was him. He's not doing that either. This is, all he's, this is what he's saying, though. This manager is a wise manager in, in this one particular sense. He correctly identified the situation he was in. It's temporary. It's passing away, and there's nothing I can do about it. He also, perhaps most importantly, recognized that what he did in that little bit of time he had left mattered in the, the, the new life that was coming, the new order that was coming. And so, as we step back from this and we think, what, what, what does it mean? Um, there's a lot of potential meaning here, but I want to just focus in on this one notion that every single one of us is faced with this notion that um, our, our stewardship over everything we have, of all the things that don't belong to us, uh, we've been put on notice. It's not going to last forever. And that's just, you know, it's like it doesn't take a genius to realize that, that we're all going to die at some point, right? But but we've been put on notice in the same way that this manager has. And we have a little bit of time between that and when the new order is going to start. And what we do with the master's stuff right now makes all the difference in the life to come. Now the Apostle Paul actually talks about this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, which you might know is where Paul talks, it's his whole long chapter on the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes through there and he says, because Jesus was raised, it wasn't just Jesus that that's going to happen to. That's a promise. That's a, it's a prototype for all of creation. Creation is going to get remade just like Jesus' body was remade. Your body is going to get remade just like Jesus' body was remade. That's the promise of the resurrection, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And so, and right at the end, he says, therefore, and you're expecting it to be something like, well, therefore, just hold on, wait for it, and God will take care of it. Just, you would think that after all of the things he said God was going to do, that he would just say, wait for it. But he doesn't. He says this. 
Therefore, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's the exact same insight as the parable of the shrewd manager. What you do with this life is not in vain because of Jesus. That somehow, some, in some mysterious way, the way you spend your money can have significance in the world to come. The way you spend your time can have significance in the world to come. Somehow God will preserve that and make it into a piece of the kingdom that he's building. And so it's not in vain. And so we can never ever say, um, oh, well, it's all passing away. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to be spiritual. You know, it's, it's, you know what you do with your, your resources really does matter. And as we take a step back um, from the parable now and recognize that all of the parables of Jesus are like data points which put together start to make a picture that's intelligible of the kingdom of God. We have to ask ourselves, what's the, what is the next step? What does it look like to steward what God has given me well? What does that look like? Well, you know, I look out at all of you, uh, and I just think, you know, we're working and living um, in all of these different places. Um, I know we've got, I'm pretty sure we got at least one person from Tableau down in Fremont. We've probably got some Amazon people. We got some hospital people. We got people spread out just from this church, spread out in all the different places of the city already. God has put us there in all of those different places. And he's been also putting other people there that we don't even know are there. In fact, um, my wife and some, just met someone here from her work. They didn't know each other. They're both here at church right now. Wow! And they're both going to be at work tomorrow. Christians in the same place. Maybe God is doing something. And so we have to th- imagine and take hold of this fact that God has, is putting his people all over the place, all throughout the city, all throughout the world, and he wants, he's, he invites us to participate now in his work. And the problem I have now is um, what exactly is that going to look like tomorrow? And I don't have a, a, a perfect answer for you, but let me tell you a couple stories. I was talking to my mom yesterday uh, on the eighth anniversary of my dad's passing. I had to call her, you know. And she was telling me this story about how uh, shortly after my dad died, she was at the hair salon. And she had been going to this hairstylist for a while, guy. Um, 
And so he knew that my dad had been sick and that he had found out he just passed away. And what does a hairstylist have to do with a grieving widow? You know, it's not obvious, right? There's no obvious connection between those two things. But he said to my mom, you know what? Um, I'm going to cut your hair for free for the next year. And my mom at first resisted, because she does that, but, <laughs> um, but she, then she let him. And she remembers it now, eight years on. Important enough to repeat the story to me. I actually hadn't heard it before. And he entered into her grief with the little bit of resource he had. His little bit of resource he brought to her great need and became part of that story. That's one thought. Another thought, there's a guy who's kind of been my spiritual muse lately. His name's Hugh Halter. And he tells this story about his own little community, small group kind of, um, and one of the practices that they engage in. And one of the things they do, and maybe I've said this here before, but I'll repeat it. Um, one of the things they do is each week when they gather, they say, hey, does anybody here know of any needs? Of anybody, is there anybody in your network that is in need right now? And he tells a story about how one week someone said, well, there's this lady, she just got laid off from my work, she doesn't have any money, and her car just broke down. Um, it's going to be about $800 to fix it. And there, you know, there's maybe a dozen of them, and they're just like, well, you know, and they just start throwing some money on the table. And they, I don't even know how much they came up with. It may not have even been the whole amount. But they took it to her. And they entered into that need as a community of faith. And one, now one of the other, the, the, third, the third thing I, I am thinking about in this regard is that if you grew up in church, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, it seems like there's enough needs right here in this room to keep us occupied more than 24-7. I mean, like, just my Christian friends, there's way too much to do. There's way too many nice things to do. There's way too much love that they need. And I, it's very easy for me never to get outside of that. So it's like I'm like trying to like get them, you know, and get outside into the world, and I can't make it out there because there's just so much need right here. I don't know if you guys have felt that way before, but... Somehow Jesus is always making it to the fringes. And when I read the story of his life and see who he's telling these parables to, the tax collectors and the sinners, while the Pharisees look on and, and, and scorn him, you know, I just think I need, I need to care for the people close to me. And I also need to prioritize the people on the fringes of my social world. Somehow I need to prioritize them. Otherwise, I'll never reach them. And the gospel will never reach them. And I want it to. 
And somehow, living this life that Jesus describes is really compelling to me. And I don't know if it's compelling. Maybe it's not compelling to you. But the thought that maybe I could be like the Good Samaritan and, and yeah, lose a chunk of my bank account for someone, but, but help, but, 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 but extend that grace. That's, I, I want that. I want, I want that to be a story in my life. Or the story of the prodigal son. I want to be that father. And not just that father, I want to be that friend. Um, I, I want to be that co-worker with someone who's not even my friend yet, who extends that kind of generosity. That is compelling to me, and it draws me towards it. Jesus' life and Jesus' message draw me towards it. And I don't feel like I'm doing a great job li- living into that yet. I feel like I'm just like, like scratching at the surface of it. And, and that kills me. But the, the pressure of it this week was, <laughs> was especially high since I was going to be speaking to you. And I was thinking, there's urgency here for me. I need to, I need to be acting on the call of Jesus somehow. I was like, how am I going to act on the call of Jesus in my life? And um, so my... My wife and I just sat down and we, we asked, who do we know that has a need? How can we act on it in some way? And we identified somebody. And we have, we're going to do it this week. Because we have to start that rhythm. So, Sedaris, what are your resources? And what are your needs? What are the needs you see? There is an aspect of being led into your stewardship just through the resources you can identify. But I actually think that the needs of others, when we start opening our eyes to them and getting close enough to people to see them, actually will call forth more from us than we knew we had. And when we do that, then the gospel of Jesus goes forth, and we become good stewards of that message as we lead with our loving actions. As in the parable of the shrewd manager, we recognize the connection between this world and the next, that everything we do matters, and it will not be lost. Jesus will use it and make it part of his kingdom. That's good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. Let's pray. Father, we are here to worship you tonight. We are here to respond to your gracious call, and we recognize that you are a God of abundance, that you have provided abundantly for us, and there is nothing better for us and to let that blessing flow through us to others, to just be a conduit of what you have provided. And we pray that this seed would grow in our hearts. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.